Welcome back to the Fried Egg Podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by our friends at Zero Restriction. This week's Open Championship can become a battle against the golf course and the elements. This week's weather forecast at Royal Portrush clearly looks like we got some rain and some wind in the forecast for the weekend. Zero Restriction makes some of golf's best rain gear. It's so good that Tiger Woods and the U.S. President's Cup team will be turning to the Z2000 rain suit during this year's matches at Royal Melbourne. You know, the great thing about the Z2000 is it is a lightweight rain jacket with, uh, it's their lightest weight rain jacket with a little stretch. So it is, uh, it's great to wear it when it's warmer out like it would be now in summer. Uh, it won't be that warm at Royal Portrush, but it will be warm at your local club if you're in the States. So check out Zero Restriction and their rain gear if you're looking to upgrade your, uh, your, your stuff. Welcome to Open Championship Week and our latest podcast with Jeff Ogilvie. In this episode, Jeff and I talk about how TrackMan has changed the, this generation of golf swings, uh, improving at golf and kind of how difficult it is at the professional level, his experience playing in the Open Championship and what he expects from this year's championship, and uh, much more. So it's a great episode. If you haven't checked out our pro shop in the recent times, uh, be sure to go over there. It's at thefriedegg.com. Uh, we have a new, we have a bunch of new merchandise, which includes new head covers. Uh, we also have a limited edition poster print, which commemorates the great match at North Berwick between Old Tom and Young Tom Morris and Willie and Mungo Park. Uh, historic match. Garrett Ford, our managing editor, wrote a great little profile on the match, uh, if you haven't heard about it, and that's on the site also, uh, thefriedegg.com. Sign up for the newsletter with this this year's last major You'll get daily newsletters that will keep you up to date on everything going on. Now, here's Jeff Ogilvie. I miss a green, for example. I'm already upset. When I find my ball in the bunker, I'm really upset. And when I find my ball in a fried egg. Fried egg. The dreaded fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg lie. I'm about ready to run off the golf course. They should get one of those Rolex series events somehow. Do you think? Roll Melbourne, Kingston Heath, Rolex series event. That'd be outrageous, wouldn't it? It'd be the the coolest. And it's the best, like, I mean, you saw the Scottish today. They pushed the start so that for American viewership, right? Uh Uh-huh. And it's like Australia, you get primetime viewing in America. Prime time, it's perfect, right? I mean, everyone gets home from work and watches the golf. It's perfect, right? Unbelievable. And it could be the winter. It would It would be like the perfect... I know they have the Dubai, but Australia would be the perfect kickoff to the season for the European Tour. Yeah, it'd be like F1. I mean, the European Tour is like F1, right? They kind of just go everywhere that wants to have a tournament. Mm-hmm. It's not America, really. It's almost exactly like Formula 1. The um, An Australia starts off the F1. Because it's European winter, right? It's perfect. Let's start south and move north. Like South Africa and Australia first, cruise up through Asia, end up in Europe. Yeah. Yeah, because then they go through Asia, yeah. And 
I mean, they could, I don't know, they could have figured out how to do the Middle East because that's obviously where all the money is. But you can, there's got to I mean, be there's a no shoulds. There's no shoulds in what's. I mean, it's just, just do whatever. But there's certainly, Australia's a powerful, a good enough golf country with good enough courses and a good enough country to visit to have one or two like real tournaments, you know? Yeah. Anything? Yeah. You uh, you watch any of the uh, that Wolf Morikawa thing? Duel. I just watched Minnesota. the highlights. I was uh, we were out doing something or something. It comes on really early in the morning for us. I watched all the highlights. I mean, pretty pretty impressive. I mean, Wolf has been. I watched him play. He was down here, Master of the Amateurs. Yeah. He played Royal Melbourne. I don't know. This January maybe is that when that's on? January. Yeah. Um. Anyway, yeah, it's pretty legit. He hits it really well. I mean, the guys on tour have been talking about how he hits it for the last year and a half because he's a GG Swing Tips guy and he's always on the Instagram. And like we'd all heard of him, didn't disappoint. They don't disappoint anymore, do they? These kids. No, no. Although, what happens with almost all of them is that they often like have an un- unbelievable first eighteen months and then they kind of come back to reality for a while. And it's that next run, if they're going to be, like, legit or not, you know, for a long time. Like Bryson, outrageous when he first came out, completely lost it for six months or whatever. Now he's one of the best players in the world, right? Ryan Moore, unbelievable, straight away, got his card on invites, struggled for four or five years and gradually worked his way back to being a great player. You know, that Jordan, great start, kind of struggled. It's hard to kind of – you win your fourth or fifth event or whatever it is. It's hard to keep that going, you know? I feel like – other sports have that too, where like if you have a great rookie year, a lot of times guys have like they call it the sophomore slump. But I think Joaquin Neiman just went through it too. He was he was playing terrible at the beginning of the year, and he started he's he's been playing great the last month or so. It shows the value in um, winning. I mean, these kids come out of college, and I was the same. We were all the same. You beat up on everyone around you when you're about to turn pro. That's why you're turning pro because you're beating up on everybody. And you're just used to winning, and it, or, or at least contending in every tournament. And as soon as you, um, you get out there, it doesn't really matter who you're playing with at first. And then after a while, like you realize that everyone's really good, and you're not winning quite as often, and like kind of that shine of the confidence goes away. But um, there's a massive advantage in like just beating up on everyone around you at whatever level it is, because then you move up, and you just you're used to beating up on people. Yeah, it's the you know. Yeah, it, and but yeah, and then once you have a rough patch, like that's the first time in a number of years you've probably ever felt like you're the one getting beat up. Probably the first rough patch you've ever had when you have your like if if Wolfie has a rough patch, it'll be the first one he's ever had. It doesn't look like he's going to. I think his um his his action is extreme, like his technique is extreme, but it's extreme at the right end of extreme. You know, I think we'll see accepted uh golf swing logic get changed a little bit from he will he he shows you that there's another way than like just swing how we've always thought you know and his ways actually might actually be better because it's kind of got built in it's almost self-correcting you know i mean he crosses the line so much that he has to shallow on the way down or he's not gonna hit the ball like it just forces a great downswing you know, and so he can hit it as hard as he wants because the harder he hits it, the better it is. Kind of, it's this kind of interesting situation. Do you see this uh, kid, Stephen Fisk, by any chance? He's a 
he was at Georgia Southern. He played really well in the NCAAs. He was like top five, but he won like six or seven times this year. He has the course record at a hoopie, and uh, he's got this. So they were like the consensus kind of two of the best players, and he, he doesn't like set his hands at a dress. It's a crazy sweat. You- Stephen Fisk. Like a- Stephen Fisk. Um, I haven't seen it, no. I mean, I think, uh, I think what's happened... I mean, you and I grew up, and I don't know if we've touched on this before. I think we have a little bit, but you and I grew up on uh, the video camera era. You know, the Ledbetter video camera. It was all about making it look right. These guys have grown up in the TrackMan era, which is all about making it be right. You know, it's all about the numbers on the screen, the strike on the ball, the ball flight. It's about what it should have always been anyway, right? But Hogan made it about the ball. He didn't know what his swing looked like. It was all about the ball flight and the spin and how it was going and how solid it felt and the speed and all that. That's all anyone's learning now, these kids. So you end up with all these unique actions because everyone's got a different way of getting the club to the right impact, right? We all have a different path to get there. Now no one's telling us that you have to take it back here and have the club outside the hands and, and balance this and all that, like, they're letting you find your kind of pathway to get that great impact. So you're seeing all these unique actions, but they're unique actions that hit the ball really well. I think it's a great period in technique, and it's it's opening people's eyes. Like it's, uh, I saw this horrific Twitter comparison of um, pre-Ledbetter Lydia Co to post-Ledbetter Lydia Co. Oh, no. And I'm not going to completely blame Led on this because she- she was working on it just like he was talking to her, but the pre-swing was so beautiful and so fluid and so great. And the post-Ledbetter one kind of looked good in static pictures, but the flow was all gone and it was just like, wow, what are we doing? Like, it's was really fault because that's just the process that our generation always went through. You know, you went to a coach, you got on the camera and you, you, squ- you got everything all squared up and neutral and nice. And then, oh, you should be able to play well now, you know? Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's just a... I think we've uh, it's it's a good period for kind of it's, getting past that vanity of how it looks, you know. Well, that's a, I feel like that's we kind of had this, and, and it's, it, you make a great point about the video camera because we lost the variety in golf swings for like a twenty-year period, where for sure, only yeah. like everybody be like, "Oh, look at Jim Furyk, how weird his swing is," but that was like really the only one. Yeah, it was. And Rocco, Rocco had a bit of a unique move, Mediate, and Duval was kind of unique. But there's, they were few and far between. Like, And usually those super unique guys are the ones who hit the ball well for a long period of time. You know, Jimmy's been probably the best ball striker on tour, really. If, you take, if, if, if distance isn't one of your measures, if your measure is straight, like ball flight control, move it both ways and consistency. I mean, Furyk's number one in my career yeah. with a swing that is kind of – a different version of what Matthew Wolf is doing, really. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's way inside with deep with the hands and gets way up there across the line. So he has to shallow on the downswing. It's a different version of a similar kind of thing, um, and they're both crazy straight hitters. You know, different styles, and you would never get like that if you learnt like you and I did. Yeah. You know, the whole Ledbetter era. I mean, I'm not Ledbetter. I'll put him his name up the top because he kind of. Unfortunately, we'll get picked on in this because every coach was doing it. Um, 
just getting on camera and getting the setup all squared and everyone was standing in front of a mirror with like remember oh, we used to get tape on the mirrors and like get our setups all like that and it's like wow completely detaching from what it feels like to hit the ball like it all became about the look of it uh, and we all did it and we still do it a little bit you know walk past a mirror with a golf club and look at our setup well, we all do it but I had uh, I had I went to, I got this lesson. I went to this new instructor once. I was like twenty two or something, and he had me like pausing at one spot so I knew how it felt and everything. I went and played with my buddies, and they were like, "What the fuck are you doing?" <laughs> <laughs> and it was like it was they they still talk to this day about that. They're like, "You remember when Andy had that like hitch in a swing because." Of, you know and it was like you know a one lesson and done like i was no i never went back to it but it was so funny because it was like the worst month of golf i played trying to do that you know and it was all about trying to get it to certain positions which is comedy really because the swing is it's dynamic it's never actually not moving if you look at the best ball even at setup lee trevino was walking around and moving his feet and i mean no one stands it's a it's a moving thing right so to try to get static good positions is Seems the wrong direction. It's like reverse engineering. You know, it's uh, it's the wrong way. Hit good golf. If you if your focus is hitting great golf shots, you'll end up having a good swing. But if your focus is having a good swing, you'll never hit good golf shots. You know, we're trying to reverse engineer it a little bit. Yeah. And and that seems to have turned around because I think TrackMan is making us realize we're getting there's a different level of vanity now. The vanity's moved on to swing speed and ball ball speed and <laughs> carry distance. That's the vanity now. How far do you hit it? How fast do you swing it? Yeah. No one ever asked me that question when I was a kid. People ask me every day, how fast do you swing? What's your swing speed? What's your ball speed now? <laughs> it's different. It's, a, it, it's, it's interesting because like, now we're, wor- we're worried about the results rather than the process of getting the results. And it used to be more about the process and then expect good results if you go about the process the way we believe is right. You know. Yeah, but I think if you get really, really like in a good focus about results, then process takes care of itself almost. Exactly. You know? Yeah, for sure. And it, it and that's creates, happening, and Wolf and Wolf shows that. You know. Well, it creates more individuality because the way you get the results, everybody's going to be a little bit different. Definitely, and that's for don't don't you think? I mean. It's more fun to watch when you watch those old, when you watch old golf on TV. I mean, I know this is a novelty factor, but I watch a lot of old golf, so it's not like a novelty factor for me, but the, the swings are just the best. Mm-hmm. You know, some guys address it way out of the neck and some guys are way across the line and have little weird hitches in their swing and everyone does something a little bit weird, a really wide stance when they part. Or, I mean, everyone started, there was that period there, that kind of last 20 years where everyone was really kind of trying to look the same. I mean, look at the way Jack putted. putted. Why know? hasn't anyone else ever done that? Right? Best putter ever. Like, it's bizarre. Like, every now I get in the in front of my mirror at home or I'm, like, on my carpet and I'm trying to putt and I'm like, that's a really good way to putt because you feel like you kind of – he always said he was, like, felt like he was – on a short putt, he was looking at the ball and the hole at the same time, you know, mm-hmm. which is kind of crazy. Um, and it feels like you get right behind. It's like, how do I miss, especially short ones? But no one does it. We all kind of stand up there neutral, like get all our lines square and straight. And Bryson tried worst. to putt like Jack. Did he? I'm well, he sure. tried to do yeah. that side saddle thing. He tried to face the hole. Oh yeah. <laughs> See, face. Bryson's impressive though. I mean, Bryson, Bryson, no stone unturned, right? 
You know, I, he's found his way. He's like my favorite and least favorite golfer to watch for various reasons. I love that <laughs> he tries new stuff and that he's like, you know, always experimenting. But the same token, like sometimes I just am like, God, you know, this is just too much. I mean, he could end up. Like, I'm sure he won't, but he could end up on the back of some range in Palm Springs, like, with Mac O'Grady, like, and stuff attached to him everywhere and doing some really <laughs> weird stuff, right? Because he's, it, it, at some point, you can't, you can't go that, there's no deeper to go. Like, where are you going to go? You know, you can't go any deeper than the moisture content in your grooves on at 7.45 in the morning at Augusta or something. Like, you, 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 at some point, you just got to hit golf shots, you know? How um, how about this? Colin Morikawa has led the his last two events, two two consecutive weeks. He's led the field in strokes gained approach. Yeah, he seems to hit the ball really well. I haven't actually seen him hit it in the flesh. I've seen, I mean, I've seen Matt Wolf hit it in the flesh, and he hits it hard. But Morikawa seems the real deal. You know, what's with this Cal golfers? I mean, how many Cal golfers have got on tour in the last ten years? Tons, right? Oh, Michael Kim, he went to Cal. They're all from California. They play golf all year round. They don't have winter. You think that's a thing? I think it is a little bit. And they're smart. You know, you got to be smart if you go to Cal. Do you think uh, it's 20 or so years after Tiger and Phil, the two best players on tour, came out of California? Do you think that has anything to do with it in states in America? Or do you think? I don't know. Like Illinois, we've never had a great golfer. DA points is on tour. Yeah, but. You know, kids, kids, <laughs> kids aren't growing up saying I want to be like DA points. No, no. Yeah, I don't know. Weather is massive, right? Minnesota, Wisconsin's got a couple. So I had some pretty good golfers, though, so you can't blame that. I know. I, well, well, how do you explain Jerry Kelly and Steve Stricker? I don't know. It's, I mean, that's we, we've had good golfers. We got Mark Wilson, but, you know, I mean, even there's Tom Hoagie, but the how many golfers are from California on tour? It's a lot. Florida. California, Florida, and Texas, yeah, yeah, and the Carolinas, yeah. It is a very, it's certainly, see, we in Australia, we don't grow up with that thing. You can play golf from anywhere. I mean, generally, everyone comes from Melbourne and Sydney and Western Australia, really, generally, because that's just where more of the people live, right? Um, but we have we, we have 12-month golf, really. Yeah, yeah. I think 12-month golf is big, but then I think it can be also a disadvantage because, like, you don't have any anything else. You don't have perspective. Yeah. You can get worn out, you know? Yeah. Did you take sure. breaks? A no. lot? No. Now I'm taking my break right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, I never took breaks. I was obsessed. Like, I would play golf on Christmas Day if I was allowed to get out of the house. But I didn't do it to get better. I just did it because I liked playing golf. Like, why would I do something else? You know? Yeah. Um, just loved it. Everything about it. I was, I was reading something... Um, so there's this uh, famous venture capitalist who believes that, like, say, you know, you've got skills, right, as a person. You can only improve, he believes, two standard deviations from... So if you're really bad at something, mm-hmm. you can't get to, like, being really good at it. You can only get to, like, average. Okay. But if you're really good at something, you can keep improving to get, become like the best. So his point is like, don't work on your weaknesses, work on your strengths. Like, how do you go about 
improving when you're like one of the best players in the world? Well, that's the thing, right? Has anyone ever worked that out? I mean, ask Jack. Um, because Tiger's career has been outrageous, but it probably his chasing to improve from kind of that O2 kind of that next set of six or seven years, he's just still great, but it was harder for him, right? Like he didn't get better, I don't think. I mean, he got better at maybe closing the deal or something, but his physical game wasn't as good in that period. And that was chasing to get better. I don't know what would he have worked on. I don't know. See, that's the thing. Like I've always had this, you talk to like a Mark Brody or these stats guys and they're like, oh, well, you just got to get better at this. So, well, that's cool. I knew that I had to get better at that area. It's not that easy to just get better at something in golf, right? You yeah. need to hit the ball straighter off the tee. Well, okay, I'll just go work on that. You know, <laughs> and, and I worked and, on that every day, right? <laughs> and and knowing you have to hit it straighter is like, that's a good thought in your head when you're getting ready to hit a tee shot. I, I need to hit it straighter. You know, well, you just have to hold more putts. Okay, I'll just go practice my putting more. Like, it doesn't usually work. Like, trying to get better at something in golf, that's actually an interesting point that guy made because people say to you all the time, well, just get better at your wedge game. Well, I go practice wedges every day, but I'm not getting better because now it's a thing, right? Now I have a wedge on a golf course. Well, I've got to hit this close because I've got to get better at it. So it's a hard game. It's not like, I don't know, if you were a runner or something and you ran marathons, you can measure your level of fitness. And it's like, oh, well, you can adjust your training and just train a bit harder and your fitness level probably improves at some point. Golf, if you're, if you're not holding enough six-footers, just going to the green and hitting six-footers and working your technique is no guarantee that you're going to hold more six-footers. In fact, sometimes it goes the other way when you do that. Golf is a hard game to work on like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I feel like sometimes when you're really working hard on something – then you get more frustrated when you're on the course and you, it doesn't work out. And then you almost actually get worse. I feel like I raise pressure on myself. Like if I'm like plenty of times I've, you know what? I need to hold more putts this year. So in the whole off season, I'll just, I'll do all the, the right things. I think what seem like the right things like competitive practice and getting myself under pressure and hitting a lot of various parts and doing the whole thing. And I'll come out and I'll put awful for a few months. Because when I'm, I'm, I'm just too in my head about my putting because I've just been putting too much. Um, but that's the way my head works. But when I, the best periods in my game, if I went and just went to Whisper Rock and I just played every day for three or four weeks and played with those boys, the Kenny Tanagawas and the Kevin Chappells and the Ches Reeves, and I had a few six-footers on 15 and 16, like downhill left to right to, like, to win the hole or to, to not lose the hole or to, to keep the match going or whatever, even if I had like just one or two of those a day, that would be better than hitting 400 putts on the green because I learn a lot from that putt, you know. And if I did that every day, then I'd start putting well. So it's interesting, like chasing improvement for me actually always made me go backwards. You kind of got to let it improve. That's, yeah. I think it's got something too to do with uh, like running isn't, it? it's a reactionary movement, right? Mm-hmm. Golf is one of those few sports where you you're thinking about it all the time. Like you're you have to, you're thinking about it before you take the stroke. It's not like you're catching a pass or catching a fly ball, which is like natural. Yeah, right. You're thinking about it in bed the night before, right? I mean, yeah. you're always thinking about it. Yeah. <laughs> it's I, it's crazy. I I was thinking about that. I, I, you know, woodland. I was looking at woodland, and um, you know. You look at it and you're like, God, if he was just average all the time around the greens and on the greens, he'd be like 
one of the 10 best players in the world every single year because of how good he hits it. Mm. But then I was thinking, I'm like, well, how hard is it? It's got to be so hard. It's easy to say, oh, just be average, you know. But, you know. Yeah, as easy as the long game is for him, the short game is just as hard the other way, right? It's like, um, but it's like Jack, his short game wasn't amazing because it didn't need to be, right? Like if you grow up a bad ball striker, you probably have a good short game because the only way you could continue improving the scores you were shooting and stay at the level you needed to be staying at was um, by getting better at that pit that you, that you were good at. Exactly like that guy said, you know, you just get better at the short game, better at the short game, better at the short game, because otherwise you would be, you, you wouldn't be playing golf anymore because you wouldn't be improving. Does that make sense? No, no, it you just, does. Uh, it's uh, and great ball strikers, the Adam Scotts, the guys who hit it well for twenty five years, like they just never hit a bad shot. They are generally outside of Tiger and Tiger and Jack. Generally, putting issues come from those really, really like guys who stripe at Montgomery, like the guys who hit it next to the hole their whole career, they end up bad putters because they've just had too many chances to miss. They've just seen it miss more often. It's not their fault. Um, there's so many inbuilt psychological hurdles in golf, you know, like to keep that balance in the middle. Uh, so we were talking yeah. about, they're thinking about yeah. the putts more. Yeah. That's, that's, I'm, I'm convinced that uh, Scott switches putters so much because he's, He's told himself he figured it out this latest time he switched, you know? And there's something to that, right? I mean, like Phil, if, I mean, Phil sometimes is a genius and sometimes it's a little bit not so, but whenever he decides to do something, he's so convinced that it's the answer that it works, right? Like it it works for him because if if you're that convinced you're right, you probably are, you know? Um, And Adam is doing a little bit of that with his putting. It's funny. I think it's hard for a guy like Adam when every time he comes off for 15 years in the media are like, oh, well, if you could only have hold a few of those putts at him, you know, it just, they've, they've made him a bad putter. Yeah. You know, by, yeah. by just telling him he is one. Because I, I promise you, I've known him since he was about 14. He's always a great putter. Yeah, and, and a bad putter is by, you know, a guy that's contending in majors every, you know, a couple times a year for... 15 years a bad putter like you're still a really good putter you know he was an unbelievable putter i mean he'd won like 15 or 16 times around the world or 20 times or something putting how he always putted yeah Um, the thing is like if adam scott showed up and played a club champion you know at a local club in a match he would he would look like you know a greek god on the greens compared to the club champion like that's the other Uh aspect of it that gets lost is you're talking about? No, that's true. Actually, you're right. Yeah, marginally better at the professional level is like, you know, that's that's leaps and bounds better than the best club player, the best amateur in the city. And good putters on tour, by the way, are outrageous. How good they are! Like you can't believe even guys like me who have been out there a long time. It's still amazing how many putts guys hold on tour. It's incredible. So that is the, I mean, the level that he is being compared against is almost unrealistic. You know, it's just outrageous. Guys like Stricker and that, I mean, Spieth there for a period. I mean, it's 20 foot was just pick the ball up. Like, you can go days without holding a 20 footer normally, even good putters. And they hold five a day. You know, it's crazy stuff. Tiger was the same. Just hold everything. Well, it's, it's, so the measure is unfair. You're right. 
the thing that's interesting too is like so uh, Luke Donald when he was on the podcast he talked about um, when he played in the final group at Marion with Rose and how he after that round he just was like God I got to be able to hit it like him and I I think like and he was like and then I like you know I went on this I tried to change my swing I tried to do all this and I think in my head I'm like. Rose, if it had gone the other way, Rose might have been like, God, if I could just putt and chip like Luke. It's funny, and a grass is always greener. Um, yeah, it's funny. I mean, I'll, we'll pick on Adam for a second because I know Adam really well, but there's a couple of times he'd been like out there. He's top five in the world, and he gets paired with Dustin or something, and he'll come off the golf course, or he'll be at Titleist the next week saying, I need to hit the ball further. And Adam's the best driver I've ever seen, really. He hits a 315 at the middle of every fairway, like an unbelievable driver of the ball. It's just there's five guys who can hit it 15 past him now, and he doesn't like it, right? The reason you're not, you didn't win, you, it wasn't because your driving was the best driving in history, right? It wasn't anything to do with that. But we don't see that, right? We don't see what we do well. We only see what we do bad sometimes, I think. You know? We compare ourselves to other people. Yeah. And it's funny because you know that, you're comparing yourself to the other guy wishing that you could do something like he does. And he's looking at you just the same going, Oh geez, I wish I could do that. Like he does. Funny. Why are we like that? Yeah. That's why it's such a great game. You know, now for a quick word from our sponsor, today's episode is powered by TD Ameritrade, whether on the course or in the market, it helps to have a second set of eyes to keep you on your game. That's why TD Ameritrade's Trade Desk is here to gut check your strategies so you always feel confident teeing up a trade. Visit tdameritrade.com slash fried egg to learn more about what their Trade Desk can do for you. Member SIPC. Now back to Jeff Ogilvy. Hey, uh, your first first Open, 99. Welcome, uh, first major, 99 at Carnoustie. What was that like? Wow. That was... Crazy. I mean, I don't know if anybody knows the history, but the 99, the Vanderbilt one was an absurd open, right? It was yeah. crazy. It was my first year as a pro. I tried to qualify, I think, a couple of times before as an amateur, but never made it. Um, first time in Carnoustie. So I was pretty excited. And we got there, and the fairways were, some of them were like t- eight yards wide and 10 yards wide. And it was just outrageous. I mean, it was, and it was lost ball on both sides of the fairway. They, they said they hadn't fertilized the grass, but you know they'd fertilized the rough. It had been raining. It was green. It was absolutely unplayable, completely unplayable because of the, the width, how narrow it was in the rough. I think the cut, I missed the cut. I think I shot, I had like 11 or 12 over. I think the cut was nine maybe, um, nine over, and I think the playoff was at five or six over, wasn't it? Is that about right? I Justin think so, Leonard, yeah. Vanderveld, and Paul Laurie. Um it was tough. So it was it was amazing to be there. Um, it's an incredible event. Anyone who hasn't been to an Open who's a golf fan needs to go to an Open because they're really cool things. It's just a different – I want to say – I mean, they, everyone tells us they're the best fans in golf, and they probably are, but it's just a different feel, and it's just – it's it's a national – it's just a national treasure, the Open in Britain, and a lot of people, even if they're not golf fans, they just go to the Open because that's what you do in July. In Britain, you go to the Open, and there's a ton of people, and it's just it's just a great tournament. Um, so that one was disappointing. So my next one, I didn't play 2000, unfortunately. That's the Tiger one at St. Andrews, and I think I played... You were 01 at Lytham. 01 at Lytham, Duval. That's right, I missed the cut there too. Um, 
Those were your I first two I, majors. First two majors. I won at Lytham. I got into that through Loch Lomond. I think I finished top 10 or something at Loch Lomond the week before Scottish Open. So that was good. That was a bit more comfortable the second time, but I missed the cut again, I think. Um, didn't I? Yeah. Yeah. You're looking at my record. Yeah. Then you, <laughs> then you had a T5 in 05 at St. Andrews. Okay. Yeah. I played well. That was a funny fifth. That was the first time I kind of got in the mix, but I wasn't really in the mix. Tiger was way in front. Um, and I birdied three of the last four. I birdied, um, I birdied 17. I birdied the road hole on Sunday, which was pretty fun. I don't know what I had in there, but I held like a 20 footer from like pin high right and made it. Big stand. There's a massive stand behind 17 on the road hole. It's across the other side of the road and it's just enormous. I don't even know how many people get in a lot. So that was pretty exciting. And then birdie the last and, and kind of went from 12th to 5th in the last three holes, which was pretty fun. How did, how does the way you play in an open change from, say, your first time at Carnoustie to, later in your career do you do you approach things differently well it's funny i had probably a pretty for someone who didn't live in britain a pretty good education because three years in a row we were in a really fortunate situation we got to go over and play amateur golf so we'd play the brabazon trophy which was the english stroke play which was all we played one at royal st george's and places like that I played the amateur three times and I played the St. Andrews Lynx trophy three times, which was, uh, just the best tournament in the world really as an amateur 40 pounds to play four rounds around the old course or three rounds in the old and one around the new. That was amazing. So I'd played a lot of Lynx golf. So I kind of feel like I knew what I was doing, but the trouble with the open or not the trouble is probably the good thing about it is you don't know, you don't know what you're getting until you get there. Sometimes it's bouncy and firm and dry, like hoy like Oh six, there was not a blade of green grass on the course except for the greens, where Tiger hit iron off every tee. That was brilliant. And then you'll get to one the next year where it rains the whole time and it's really soft and not soft but damp and the grass is wet and it's a completely different style of golf. And then Birkdale when Harrington won and Norman was nearly not nearly won. I mean that was blowing fifty, and that was a seven or eight overcut. And then you get no, which is a five undercut the next year. So it's a it's just infinite variety, <laughs> the Open. Um, but I tended to like to go over there early. I didn't like to play the John Deere very much because I thought getting in on like really early on Monday or like lunchtime on Monday was a bit late jet lag-wise. And uh, Moline, Illinois to the coast of Britain is generally not – like you kind of – you're changing the playing field a fair bit there. So I usually go, we'd go over there about the Wednesday. Style, styles are a little different. Styles are a little different. The, the type of <laughs> golf you got to play is a little different. <laughs> Temperature's a little different. Um, scenery's a little different. I mean, John Deere's a great event. I ended up, I played it a lot and I enjoyed it. But whenever I was like contending in the um, Open or what I felt like I was in the mix for the Open, I would, we'd go early like the Wednesday and did it with Adam a few times. We'd camp at St. Andrews and play a few holes and then, play a few days and then go up to Turnbury or wherever we were going or go well, Turnbury's a good place to go camp for a few days and before an open. So I'd always go and play because I just love, I'm a Lynx junkie. I just love playing them. So did I you, would, uh, did you like playing, uh, like the Scottish or Irish open or did you, would you rather just kind of play casual golf? No, I would like to play the Scottish and Irish open. I mean, I think now, but the schedule wasn't like that yeah. 10 years ago. It was, the Irish Open was at the K Club or something, and 
an inland course and the Scottish Open was at Loch Lomond for a long time, um, which is basically like playing Muirfield Village, you know, like it's not anything to do with links. So I kind of got off doing that. And now they've come back the last sort of six or seven years and they're playing links two weeks before the Open, which is great. And I would be all over that. But um, like Rory said this week, he just wanted to have a scorecard in his pocket. There's something about having a scorecard in your pocket the week before, um, especially with somewhat similar turf conditions and stuff. It's different. It's funny because when you go to the – when you go to uh, the UK and you see it every year, the guys who have been playing US for the last 12 months, they get their 60 out when they chip it on the first green. They get their 60 when they're chipping it on the third and the fourth. And But by the end of the week, they're chipping with six irons again. You know, like it, it does affect you. You do use different clubs. Like in the PGA Tour, you're probably 60 out, I don't know, 12 times around. You know, probably four or five shots into greens with pitches into par fives. And every time you miss a green, you just get your 60 out. I mean, it's out. At the open, you're, I only ever get the 60 out if I'm in a bunker. That's it, around the greens. Every other pitch is with a 54 or a 50 or a, like a 9-iron or something. It's it's two-iron gets back in the bag. You know, these new driving irons that these all these manufacturers make. I might drop the hybrid or the even the three-wood sometimes and just have like a just a nuclear two-iron that goes really long and low. Um, so it's a different style. It's a fun way to play. Don't hit it as hard. I usually end up hitting it soft by the end of the week rather than harder. Keep the spin off the ball. It's definitely a different – we would all the, – the golf world would look different. Professional golf would look different if we played courses like that every week. Like the swings would be different. The ball flights would be different. Um, it's the same game, but it's just it's just, a, just off to one side a little bit from what we're used to. Yeah. Do you think with, you know, the different style, do you think that's why we see, you know, it seems like almost every year we get, you know, an – older guy making a run that, you know, say is 50, 50 plus, you know, like Norman. I think and... the, the advantage of power is, is nullified a little bit. Like it's a bit more balanced. Um, say, I mean, I'll pick on Beth page black, not picking on it, but just for an example, cause it's obvious you can't compete there really, unless you can hit the ball 300 yards in the air. It's just, not going to work out for you because it's just too long. The ball doesn't run and that's all carry. Whereas you got to say Turnbury in what was it? Oh, nine when Watts nearly won. Yeah. That, um, that's super windy crosswinds, really bouncy and firm length really just gets you into more trouble if you can't do it properly. So everyone ends up kind of plodding their way around and kind of just finding their way around the course because it's so difficult. You just want to get the ball on the ground and run on the ground. And all of a sudden, Tom Watson's now the best player in the world at doing that, you know. Um, so it can change. But then if it got dead still at Turnberry, the long hitters get their chance again, dead still and soft. So it kind of just it changes the style of golf you need to win so quickly with just weather and wind that the guys like, or pick, say, a Watson or a... 50-year-old guy who's, who's been out there a long time, really gets it. Someone like Phil or Tiger even now, they're going to adapt to that a lot quicker than other guys who haven't seen that sort of stuff before. So with, so we've got like the, the Masters, Augusta, let's just call it like strategic golf, but then, you know, we'll call, I think feel like the U.S. Open and the PGA are kind of similar style tournaments usually, right? but one's yeah. just set up a little, a notch softer. 
and then you've got Lynx Golf. Do you, do you think I'm I'm curious is is Australian sandbelt golf a different style than Lynx Golf and American golf? It's it's kind of like a well, Melbourne golf mm-hmm. is like the sandbelt what we think of as Australian golf. I mean people outside of Australia like Royal Melbourne, Kingston Heath, the sandbelt stuff. That is kind of a hybrid between Lynx style golf and like kind of that parkland us golf it's um not as extreme and kind of wild as links golf not quite as close to the coast but it is quite firm the ball rolls a lot um it's much more about angle rather than the lie you have that makes sense like the us if you get a good lie you can pretty much get it next to the hole unless you're really in a bad spot um it's Whereas Britain, it's less about your lie or Lynx golf when it gets firm like that in Melbourne. It's less about really the lie you have and it's more about your angle. If you're in the right angle, you can generally work with you're going up the hill or whatever and you can use the slope. If you're on the wrong side, it's a real disaster. So it's kind of, it's a bit of a hybrid between them both. I mean, it's kind of more, it looks more like American golf on the surface, but it plays more like Lynx golf when you're actually playing it. That makes sense. See, that's that's the case why Australian Open should be a major. Well, yeah, I mean, Australian, it's like playing on Long Island. Anyone who's ever played Shinnecock or, like, seen the way Shinnecock plays outside of, like, the USGA setup, uh, Sandbelt Golf plays a bit like that, you know. Yeah. It's a little bit coastal, but it's a little bit firm, but it's not quite as fiery and kind of random. Lynx Golf is quite random. It seems random when you first play it. Is that... It's crazy is bounces. That, what What do you think about the... Is the, is the draw... Have you, were you ever on like the wrong side of a bad draw? Is the draw really a big deal as everybody makes it out to be in, in open? The, the draw can be, I mean, it can be a complete game changer. It completely put you out of the tournament if you get in the wrong one. Um, we, uh, the worst one I got, I, the Birkdale one that Harrington won, funnily enough, um, Harrington was the group in front of me and he won the tournament. Um, but no one else within an hour each side of us even made the cut. Like he just freaked out. He made the cut on the number and had a really good weekend. I think or made. I think he actually birdied like two of the last three on Friday to sneak in by a couple and then had a great weekend and won. Um, but that one, it was it blew hard all day on Thursday, really hard. But in the afternoon, it blew and rained really hard so we played in 50 mile an hour winds and rain whereas the morning they just played in 50 mile an hour winds and that's a, it was a big difference um in scores it you can get really really unlucky because you have guys on the golf course at 6:50 in the morning and you have guys on the golf course at 8 30 at night i mean that's 14 hours difference and you're right on the coast i mean it can be you can have four different days in one day like when you're that close to the coast and there's you have these weird situations where It'll be dead still and then the tide will change and the wind will just start blowing the other way. Or the wind will be blowing off the left and then you'll just turn around and it'll start blowing off the right just for fun. Like it just changes all the time. Um, and you see the storms coming in over the water and stuff. And yeah, it's a uh, draw is really, really important. Generally, I think it's kind of even probably, but you can get really unlucky. And it's so annoying. When, and you know you've got unlucky after three holes. Like you can just tell. And it's so depressing when you've got to wait a whole another year because you just know you, you really, you're really going to be struggling to get anything done. So have you played uh, Portrush? 
I haven't played Port Rush. No, it looks incredible. Yeah, it looks really cool. I uh, so I've been seeing kind of everybody describing Port Rush as a fair links course, mm-hmm. like in in the same vein of as Burkdale. What what's the difference between what makes a fair links course? Like when a pro says it's a fair links course. Well, I don't ascribe to, I don't like this. I actually like the randomness, but um, generally the pro's position is they don't want to hit a shot that they'd normally be a good shot and have a bounce into the wrong spot, you know. And when a Lynx gets fired, some of them are extreme like this, like a St. George's, um, like a St. Andrew's. Those places get, it's seemingly on the surface super random, like, you hit a shot and one time it bounces to the right. The next time it bounces hard and runs over the green. The next time it bounces to the left, like that stuff pros hate. They like to get the result from the shot that they knew they were going to get. Like in the U S you hit a five iron, 200 yards, it lands at 199 and it stops at 199 or one two Oh one or something. You kind of know, whereas that same shot in Britain, it, it could run 20 when it lands or it could just hit an upside and stop. Pros hate that, um, sort of stuff that kind of, quirk but funnily enough the quirkier it gets by the end of the week usually the higher level of the player that wins you know like that's well i mean watson won around the bouncy quirky ones you know those great all-time legends they find a way st andrews i mean finds finds the number one golfer in the world very often tiger in his two when he was in the most form the two st andrews opens he just dominated them you know with all the quirk in the world so I would argue that that's more fair because the best golfer is won by more, you know. Um, but the standard position is, and I agree with it too, it sucks when you're a pro and it's your thing to hit a great shot and see it bounce into a bunker and know you're going to make bogey and it wasn't your fault. But if you take a higher perspective and you look back over the week, generally any shot that's a well-struck shot will generally go in a pretty decent place, generally, especially if you've chosen the right shot with the right club. But it's a, and this all in front of you thing, like, I don't understand that phrase either. Like every golf course is in front of you, you know? Like what are you looking backwards when you're playing? You know what I'm saying? Like you walk backwards up the fairway? Every course is in front of you. Like I don't, I don't know what that means really. Um, but I hear Port Rush is really... Uh, Penal, Scotty, I was reading about Scotty this morning on somewhere, Doug Fergie's article, and he was saying, yeah, it's going to be really penal off the a lot of reloading and stuff, so that'll be interesting. Um, must be green rough. Yeah, it, I'm, it, I'm sure it's going to blow up there too. It's got to. It's, that's the last two weeks, the Irish and, and uh, Scottish, it's just been dead calm. Yeah, well, I mean, that renaissance, I mean, that's not built for a golf course where they just played the... Scottish Open, and that, not a golf tournament, I should say. That's a that's a really beautiful place. But talking about par, they probably just for sanity's sake should have adjusted par a little bit there for those scores, and they didn't really get the win they should. But Ireland, I would think, is generally a little bit windier, maybe. It's a pretty small island, um, pretty windy place. I don't know. It's uh, fair. I think. Pros like it to not be so fiery, bouncy too. You know, like Hoylake, that was another one. That was complete. The ball was running 50 yards when we played Hoylake in 06. And who won? Tiger. Tiger. You know, so I, on the surface, it seems unfair. 
And I used to, when I first got there, I thought, this is a joke. Good shots go in a bad place. This is ridiculous. How can a good player show himself? But by the end, I started thinking, you know what? I think almost the quirkier you get it, it's to the good player's advantage or to the, to the complete player who's got all the shots. It seems to always end up that way. It doesn't seem that way if you measure it all on just the basis of one shot or two shots. But if you go on the basis of 275 shots, it seems like it's, it's a, it's a, it finds the better player somehow. I imagine that the the firmness, like it's consistently firm at an open more so than any other event, and that's gonna separate the good from the great play, or the good from the mediocre play more. Did did you feel like when you came into an open with in good form, you played accordingly? And when you were maybe struggling a little, you say struggled more so than most tournaments. I feel like the open, you can't be struggling with your ball striking. Like the traditional thinking would be like that the U.S. Open would be a ball striking test, right? But I, but I actually found that the open, the British Open, was the ball striking test. And that the U.S. Open was the short game test. That's what I found. I could, I found like at U.S. Opens, I could hit the ball poorly, find a way to just kind of scratch it around somehow, getting it up and down. The Open, you can't fake it. If you've got a twenty mile an hour crosswind and you've got like hay on both sides of the fairway and bunkers, you're not going to get on the green to out of regulation. You can't fake it onto that fairway. There's no, you've got to hit a real shot. Um, I always found that if I wasn't hitting it well when I went there, I struggled mightily but if i was hitting the ball well then it would usually go all right like under control well you know crosswinds are the the biggest equalizer in your ball striking um especially crosswind you get crosswinds a lot of these links they're not all out and back but they often they'll go out for five holes and like they'll go in straight lines for five holes quite often you'll get three or four holes in a row like running along the coast and if you're pumping off the left and you're not very good with that 20 mile an hour left right wind and you got five holes in a row with the left right wind you know like 10 shots in a row or whatever it would be you're not getting through that stretch well unless you're hitting that shot well you know um whereas say at the u.s open you're gonna like, the other ones i feel like you could save yourself around the greens but the the open's got more you, you're not making you're not saving it if you hit it in a links bunker off the fairway on the tee you're chipping it out like there's, there's no there's no amount of skill that can actually get you to make par really you just take your penalty shot and go on um i find it a ball striking test more than anything else and it's such a fun test too it might be kind of counterintuitive with everything else in golf like by setting up the u.s open to be the toughest test it makes it a short game competition in a sense because everybody is going to miss a little bit but because it's so hard, right? Yeah. I mean, nobody can hit everything there, right? Yeah. But with the open, the open by their kind of withstanding the ninety-nine Carnoustie, where it was ten yards wide and hay on either side, but their belief of like just letting it happen, it becomes the ball striking test because if you if you're playing really well, you could conceivably hit every fairway and every green. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I. The the nice thing about the open from that kind of what you just mentioned is that nobody knows who the setup man is. Like, what's his name? <laughs> Who's setting up 
the I mean, you probably do, right? But I, nobody else does. Right? I, I, I only know Martin Slumbers because I think he's got one of the best names in golf, but I don't think he sets it up. He's just the guy that he did. He sprung the driver test last year on everybody. Marty oh, sleeps. Yeah, yeah. yeah, Marty sleeps. Well, they generally, you play, if you go to Port Rush um, at any other time, you'll be playing the same course they're going to play this week. I mean, it'll be in better condition. I'm sure the RNA gives them a bit of a budget to like spend a bit more money on the course and have a few more staff and have it all a bit neater and like kind of nicer. And maybe the rough is a little bit thicker than like the members play. But generally, you play Port Rush how it's supposed to be, or you play St Andrews how it is, or you play St George's just how the members play it. And you just off the back tees and just go have at it, boys. And if it's windy and it's firm, you're going to go par. If it's soft and it doesn't blow, you're going to go under. That's there. They kind of just leave it up to God in a sense. You know, whereas the USGA try to manipulate the playing field to kind of get the result they want, you know. And look, it works sometimes on one side and it doesn't work on, you know, sometimes the open backfires, but if the weather's crazy or it's dead still or whatever, but it doesn't really. It's just um, just it's a different approach. Seems like the setup, like, I mean, it almost only the, really the big philosophical difference is green speeds. That's why they're able to just not do anything. Like, they just set it up. It's like, well, we aren't going to let the greens get out of control because that's where most of the problems happen. Well, yeah, usually. And look, they're lucky that they don't even have the chance, right? Because they know it's going to blow. They know it's going to blow, and they just can't. They've just never got the option to try to get them fast. Plus, Lynx greens just don't get that fast, I don't think. But... Any, the only issues I've ever had in Opens were at St. Andrews. The last two Opens we played at St. Andrews had big wind delays because probably the 11th green was cut just a little bit fast, you know. Um, but you get situations at St. Andrews. I, in, I can't remember which one it was, 5 or 10 or 15. I can't remember. I think it was 10, that the fairways were rolling faster than the greens. Like, and I th- it was the last one we had to play I think it was 10 or 15, 15, they had to put dots around, like little tiny little dots around the edges of every green. So the caddies in the front of the greens were in the back of the greens because, and the rules for, because that was when pins needed to be in and out for green because you couldn't tell the difference between the fairway and the green. That's the old course. And that, to me, that's actually ideal. That's like really, really cool, right? But yeah. from a tournament perspective, like with all the, it would be different now, I guess you can, you, you know, you can leave the pin in, but. They had to mark out the edge of the greens. So the the fairways at St. Andrews can roll at 10, I reckon, sometimes, <laughs> which is interesting. And then we're going way off topic. But the thing about the open is that when you have, like, kind of slower, flatter greens, it bring it makes it more of a ball-striking contest. You know, it's ba- it balances the test. I mean, putting is difficult. A dead straight putt from four feet with a little bit of pressure on you. For anybody is kind of a bit of a mental test, right? We aren't testing the, the, the putting end of the game is the mental test. The, the, the hitting end of the game is the physical test, right? It seems to balance it out a little bit. The balance in the links between how well you hit it and how well you putt seems to be a bit more measured, like a little bit more equal. Sometimes you get to these ultra soft courses, like a normal PGA tour event, like in Palm Springs or something. And it's all about putting, the whole field can hit it inside 20 feet on every hole because the shots are really easy. So it's whoever holds the most 20 footers, whereas at the open, it's only good ball striking that gets you to 20 feet, right? Yeah. It seems to be... The firmness has a factor there too. Uh-huh, yeah. Firm and not too fast. 
because if you tow one at a at a firm links course, if you tow one and you got a little hook spin, it's not stopping twenty feet away. Mm-mm. Yeah, it's gonna stop. It's just 20 a bit. Uh, There's a bit more depth to the test or something. But I kind of like. Look, I think most golfers in the world would love a bit of anxiety from the putting taken out of the game. You know, generally speaking, um, thirteen. 13 on the stem greens with holes on sides of hills is a good um, anxiety-inducing situation, you know. You go to links, all the, you just get all the fun of hitting the shots, and then you just get down there and you try to roll the putt in the hole. It's not like the be-all and end-all putting. It's very important, clearly. Um, but it seems to be just more balanced. It's less of a putting contest and more of a, you know, if you hit the ball well this week, you'll do all right. If you putt well this week, you'll do all right. Um, but it doesn't seem to overwhelmingly um, suit one side or the other. As I said, it's more of a ball striking contest before, but I think golf is generally more of a putting contest, um, at least in the winning the tournament situation. It's the guy who holds the most parts. And I think the open is the guy who wins the tournament probably is the guy who hits the most good shots. Uh, that's what it feels like to me. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, it's just, it's become my favorite tournament to watch year in year out i think the last few have just been so good too like last year at carnoustie you know it was playing so fast and everybody's like oh are they just gonna bomb it you know bomb it up and you know play bomb and gouge and sure enough like it was i'll never get the like thursday morning you know some people are just trying to hit driver everywhere and they were just they just got blown off the face of the earth you know trying to trying that strategy and it became I mean, and you look at the leaderboard, like the guys that were up there last last year, and it was like, what more could you ask? You had a variety and styles of play, but they, I mean, you had Molinari was playing the best golf of anybody in the world at that time, and Tiger, and you had Spieth, and you had, I mean, it, it just, it's such a beautiful version of the game. Well, it just gives everyone a chance, right? It's very democratic. It, uh, if you're really, really good, at, at an aspect of the game, it is really rewarded, you know, and and it's a mental test too, right? I mean, Jordan is always going to do if if Jordan's in form, he's going to do well in opens because he thinks well for opens, you know. He's got that kind of mature kind of golf think, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, you th- it's hard to see. Imagine Dustin not like presenting in a few of these. He hits the ball so well, but he has, probably has to take the driver out of his hand. Probably you go out there with a great two on and like kind of do it. I don't know. Like it's a, uh, it is, it's very democratic. I mean, Zach Johnson can win at St. Andrews and Brooks can win somewhere else. And like, it's everybody can win, you know, R- Rory's the batting Rory's favorite, the batting favorite. and uh, he's going to be playing in his home hometown. What you, you played a lot of golf at high levels, but you know, very rarely in front of your home crowd. Is it, is it different playing at home? When you haven't played there very much, yeah, I think so. I mean, he's gonna. I mean, I, I can't even imagine what it's like for him. I mean, to be as big as Rory is anyway, and to do it in Ireland and to do it at home. The Open hasn't been there for 50, 60 years or whatever. Like, it's a big deal. Like, um, it's gonna be hard for him. Hopefully, he can. Uh, the first round is gonna be the hard part for him. You know, the first six holes, first nine holes. If he gets in and he's kind of doing it right, he'll probably get comfortable and. Like whenever I've – the nerves and the pressure for me always felt like pre-first tee, you know. I felt like once I got on the golf course, regardless of the situation, 
oh, now I'm happy. Like, it's the off the course that I'm uncomfortable with, all the attention and all the stuff. As soon as I get on the course, well, this is what I know how to do. I'll just do this. I know how to play golf, you know, so I can just do this. But that lead up and that pressure, I mean, how many people are going to be yelling Rory at him everywhere he steps? Like, everywhere. it's going to be tough. It's going to be, it's going to be like Weezy in the Canadian Open, you know, a few times. Like, it's just, hopefully it doesn't become a burden that's hard to carry. Is what a story that would be. It'd be pretty special. Yeah, it'd be incredible. It's a, it, I think like I think that's one of the sneaky tough things when you play at home is like there's an added layer of expectation or mm-hmm. an added layer of like just one extra dimension of to the game, which would make a win even more unbelievable. It's uh, who who do you think? I mean, who would you be picking this week? Well, he clearly is a uh, – he has to be looked at as a um, – Rory, obviously Brooks and Dustin, Scotty. I mean, it's probably a good one for Adam because, as I said, it, it's – the Open, I would say, is his best chance be, at the moment because it doesn't probably require as much putting, level of putting. It's a real ball striking test, especially if it gets windy. Um who else? Who are you, who are you picking? Let me uh, let me have a think for a minute. Is I mean, there a field list I can look at? Yeah, you gotta find find it. Um, I, the one of the things that Doke said on the pod, which was really interesting about Portrush, was unlike almost every other rota course, Portrush mm-hmm. has because of when it was built, it has a cohesive set of greens. So Colt built, you know. 18 green they have two new holes but 16 of the 18 greens are the original colt greens really which is like that's pretty good isn't it yeah it's it's much never happens nowadays yeah so he said he was saying you know that that they have it has a more a little bit more complex green green complexes hold a hole than than a lot of the rota courses other like muirfield he said also has Unbelievable greens, though, too. I will... Uh, Mealfield's greens are great. Um, I will say... How about... I always pick Louie, right? Because I just... Louie's my favorite golfer. Um, he's just complete. You know, like, it's just... He has... He doesn't have weaknesses, right? And he's, I mean, he's finished second in every major, so he clearly is good in the big... Good big thing, and he was up there somewhere recently, wasn't he? In the PGA or somewhere, another U.S. Open. He was around about, I think. Well, and he's like what you talked about. It's a ball striking test. Like, there's not many, you know. And he hits half shots well, and he hits like he's quite happy to hit a little dinky five iron from 150. Like he plays like that anyway. Um, And Fleetwood, he's probably a little bit not quite as doesn't have the shine that he did this time last summer, but he is a ball striker. He's going to win one of these soon. He is. Rory would be my favorite, and I'll go Louis and Fleetwood as my roughies, dark horses. Not yeah. really dark horses, but <laughs> I might. I, Molinari could be a good pick. He hasn't played that great though this year. You know, repeating's got is tough too. Ram would have Rahm. to be a chance, you would think. Ram, I, I mean, he's he's a thumper. Like he hits the ball. He hits a heavy ball. Like he hits that kind of low spin, really like a perfect ball for the UK. Like it's, it's, I don't know. There's just something about the way he strikes it that I think could be really, really impressive there. And he just won in Ireland last week, right? Or two weeks yeah. ago. 
that he seems like a guy that if he wanted to could hit it 20 yards, 30 yards further, but he hits that low, you know, low little cut as opposed to hitting that high launch bomb. He's funny on the range. You get him on the range and he does. He hits it 310, 310, 310, and then he like goes at one. It's, he's got gears on top of his gear. He has got multiple more gears that he doesn't use. I mean, he's a big kid who swings it really efficiently, creates speed really easy. He's He just he gets emotional, right? So um, that, that helps you if you get in the right situation at the right time. You know what I mean? So if he can kind of they, – they, uh, I say that they – the Spanish tend to really kind of, and the Italians like Molinari, they get so into it that if you get when they get in that kind of mood, they're almost impossible to beat, you know. But when they get in the bad side of things, it kind of goes quickly the other way. And he's very like Sergio kind of was. So if he's feeling it, he's got a perfect game for there. I read that um, that article you did about temper. Oh yeah. What? Uh, yeah, it was interesting. It was like how you you ran a little hot younger. But then it, you know, like you grew like, so Rom, everybody always is like, oh, temper, like, you know, it, can he control it? Like what, you know, in your experience with like dealing with like temper and competitive golf, like anybody that's played competitive golf understands what a temper, you know, like there's nothing more frustrating. Like, how, I mean, like, how do you use it to your advantage? I think when I went when I was young anyway, uh, and I'd get filthy angry, and then I'd be angry for about four holes, and I kind of worked out after a while that I wasn't angry at the shot anymore. I was just angry at myself for getting angry again. You know, and you, and you get into this spiral, it's like, you're such an idiot. What are you doing? Like, come on, man, what are you doing? You're an idiot. And you just, all five holes later, it's like, you've just made three bogeys. It's like, what was I doing? I don't think you ever get to the point where you don't have that kind of flash of anger come up when you're frustrate yourself because otherwise you, you you wouldn't the type of people who want to be competitive are the people who are going to be like that right if you don't care at all um then you don't probably make it to that level right yeah. um and everyone look but dust i mean there's outliers i mean dustin doesn't seem to know how to get angry you know and he's the best player in the world um brooks doesn't look like he knows how to get angry but most i mean tiger's the angriest player i ever played with but he was also the best at turning it to flicking the switch back on. And he he used anger in a positive way. I mean, he's, his next shot, when he was angry, it almost focused it. He got angry to focus himself. You know, stop chatting to the boys. Come on, Tiger. You Tiger Woods, let's hit a good shot. Come on, don't be stupid. And he would he would kick his bag or something and yell at Stevie or something. And then 30 seconds later, he looks like the best golfer in the world again. Whereas most guys, are three holes later, you can tell that they're still mad. You know, heads down and grumbling under their breath after every shot. Nice shot again. What are you doing there? I mean, it's, uh, we all have to, I just got better and better at just getting it out and then getting it away. And then I had periods actually recently where I'd like internalize it. I think internalizing it's bad. I think what Ram does is actually really good. You know, you just got to find ways to do it. That doesn't put other people off, you know, that doesn't leave any scars in your brain. You know, it's, well, uh, and that's the thing is an, like, ah, it's such a frustrating game. It doesn't put any people, anybody off if you win and you get angry every once in a while. Like Tiger proved that because you know, like he would drop f bombs, he'd throw clubs, you know, and and Rom, it just because it seems like it sticks with him once he gets, you know, like you can see it growing, and then all of a sudden it's like an eruption. And it's so what you said is so true. Like I, 
I I used to have a temper, and I would get to, I I would get mad at myself for getting mad. I mean, what sort of a situation is that? I mean, how yeah. dumb is that? But we do it, right? It's just crazy. It's <laughs> I don't know. That's well. That's uh, that's one of the things with golf. It's just the that's the mental side of it too. Is like there's nothing worse than when you you make a mistake and you're you know you know you had thought about that before you made it you know and it's just like you're just such an idiot. Yeah, I just think ideally, if you can flip it to like positive, if you can flip it onto the positive really fast, like let it fire you up and come on, like, you know, like kind of footballers slapping each other on the helmets and stuff to fire each other up. But if you use it like that, anger, I think that's how kind of Tiger did it. I think I think he used it to focus himself. Whereas, say, I'll pick on Ram or say Sergio or one of these guys, they tend to, um, it changes their mood. So that it, it, it kind of like a dark cloud goes over them for a few holes, you know, and so they're more susceptible to like getting frustrated about the crowd or the marshals or their caddy or their next shot. And the good players is almost like the anger blows the clouds away from clarity, you know. Although they're not the good players, are they? They're the the mentally good guys. But saying that, I mean, Tiger was always, like you said, he was dropping f bombs. He was winning every week. Jordan, when he was at his best, he was certainly on the edge. <laughs> You know, right on that kind of edge of uh, anger all the time. When Jordan was playing well, him and Michael were very animated. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Uh, and, and he was the best player in the world. So, there's no. And Bryson, he's, he's completely psychopathic sometimes, Bryson, right? But doesn't affect their score. Doesn't seem to. It yeah, might wear you out emotionally, but it doesn't seem. Sometimes, some guys seem to need to be in that sort of kind of white line feverish kind of mindset you know to get the best out of themselves and other guys need to be like freddie couples or dustin you know just like oh, whatever just get a good shot is it could like heighten your focus in a way because it like you know it gets your you going a little do you do you ever feel it, like you kind of like a, a tournament you're like sleepwalking almost very regularly <laughs> um and that's partly i think the nature of tour golf is groundhog day right you just Every week, you're on the range on Tuesday with the same guys. You're in a different town, but it's the same guys on the range. You're working on the same things. You go to the putting room for an hour. You're going to go play your practice round, and you do it on Wednesday in the pro-am. It just becomes very like that, and that sort of thing becomes a bit – you just start going through the mo- – if, if you're not playing well, it's very easy to go through the motions for a month, you know? and then you're not getting mad, right, because you're just kind of mechanically going, doing your process, doing your thing. It's when you're really fired up about a tournament is where you've got to be careful with your anger situation. Yeah, yeah. Hey, I think I'm going to take... I was always playing in front of my... Whenever my dad caddied for me when I was young, that was my angry day because I didn't want to let him down, you know. <laughs> and funnily enough, when I'd get angry, that was what let him down because I was getting angry. He didn't care how I played, so it's ironic how we... Have it, the, the dad caddy is one of the hardest things to deal with in a, in a tournament. You know, it's tough. It shouldn't be. It should be the best, right? It should be the most comfortable, great situation. But the person in the world we want to impress the most is standing right next to us. It's yeah. tough. It's it's hard. I uh, I'm I'm taking Adam Scott. That's got a good call. Convinced. I think this week. Yeah. Listen to this. Uh, listen to this form. He's barely played this year. I kind of like that. But twelfth of the players, eighteenth of the Masters, and he was like in that. That's it. That eighteenth is deceiving. 
eighth at the PGA, second at the Memorial, seventh at the U.S. Open. That's- yeah, he's on form. And he's playing... I mean, we talked about it the last couple of years. Like, he started having kids and stuff. He's had a couple of kids now, like, getting the schedule to, like, balance all that out. And he's all great at going away for a month, really working hard and coming back and being in form. I always needed to kind of play into form, but he's been really... He, he can get... He's like Tiger. He can get ready without any tournaments beforehand and he loves this process of getting ready for majors is his favorite thing he's been there for four or five days already he's been playing with darren clark he's uh he loves that kind of camping there for two weeks and just getting his house and just doing his own thing and really grinding and winning the tournament so again it's all about the start and there's so much in these tournaments it's about the start for these guys for everyone if you get off and you you top 15 or 20 after one round and you have a nice round and you're kind of in the mix it's like it takes all that pre-pressure and all the build-up is gone now you're in the top now you're just doing what you know how to do but you go out and you're kind of two over after seven and you feel like you got a bad draw and it's windy and your swing feels a bit weird or something that it gets tough in that situation you get off to a good start any of these guys can win starts important i feel like starts the hardest thing to competitive golf it really is, as I said, because the pre, for me anyway, the pre-tournament, the non-golf stuff was the stuff that I was uncomfortable with, you know. As soon as I went down that first fairway, hit it on the fairway, if I was playing okay, it's like, this is what I know how to do, you know. I can do this. It's all the, the trying to go to, like, in contention or before a big tournament, you have a sleepless kind of night the night before and you're kind of worrying about the weather and have I got enough food in my bag and how many golf balls should I take and I wonder if my caddy's going to sleep in and is he at the pub or not and all that stuff you get on the golf course you just it's golf and, and almost everyone on tour is the same I think once you start playing golf this is what we know how to do and we're comfortable but there's so much build up now and there's so much media attention and just so much kind of talk so many like kind of outlets to you can't get away from it. If you get on the Twitter or the Instagram or the internet or you watch Golf Channel or you watch any, you just can't get away from all the... I mean, this, we're talking yeah, about it. Exactly. Open, right? <laughs> it's just there, right? Um, it's tough. That's why this, That's another reason I think the start is really hard because there's probably 50 guys who think they're an outright, they're an outright definite chance to win this tournament. And, th- and that puts your puts you through all sorts of emotions. You know, if you think you're a chance to win one of these things and life changing thing, yeah, it's important. It's important. It's be it's been made so important by the golf world. These tournaments, there's a lot of pressure. I feel like too, if you have like, um, you know, if you miss, say, you just miss one left in your first five shots. That miss left is more memorable than if you miss that if you hit that same shot midway through your second round. Oh, if you do it early, yeah, yeah. That first tee shot's really key. There's a couple of key shots. I mean, it's there's that first driver or the first tee shot of the first hole. If you hit that one down the middle, that's usually that's settled very settling. You know, you hit that. You have that cruisy, easy first hole. You know, you hit it down the fairway, you hit it the 15 feet or whatever. You hit a good part, it goes in or it doesn't. But you have that zero stress hole. You don't have a drive at the rough, like get a flyer over the green, chip it down to eight feet and have it downhill left or right for par. Even if you make it, there's different ways to make par on the first hole, right? Um, it's uh, You love to kind of get into the tournament and the stress kind of gently, you know, 
you know, that nice cruisy par or birdie on the first hole. No, no problem. No fairway bunkers. No plug lies. And yeah, it's yeah. But you can't guarantee that. I mean, they could get to the first tee on Thursday and it could be blowing fifty and raining. You know, and like all your preparation goes out the window. It's like <laughs> I haven't played in three layers of rain gear for a while and like beanies and wearing my rain gloves and <laughs> just ho- uh, just hoping to hang on to the club. <laughs> yeah, it's tough. I mean. It, it's so disappointing too when you have this build up and you get that crazy forecast for the first day or the second day or something. I mean, it's tough, but it's such a good tournament. Yeah, you can tell both of us love it because of the way we're talking about it. Yeah, I'm I'm excited to watch. I got my alarm set. Maybe what's it, it, the schedule over there? Has got to be. It's on at night. It, yeah, it's kind of brutal. Yeah, it's not much sleep this week. It's kind of. I think it kicks off about ten at night, and then you then you settle into a night of trying to sleep but leaving the TV on, and it's pretty unhealthy. Yeah. It's, it's I'll probably just record it, wake up in the morning and watch forward. it. And as there's winter right here at the moment, the kids go off to school, I'll watch it during the day maybe. Yeah, that's I I'm uh I'm gonna be up. I'm gonna be unfortunately, you know, having to be Oh, you gotta aware. get up at what, two or three, something? Four? Yeah, three. Three. So three, yeah. it won't be bad. But uh it'll be a it'll be a good tournament. We'll uh we'll have to talk afterwards, you know? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean it's not I mean look, going to Northern Ireland too, it's like it's not historic, but it kind of is. It's a historic for a new generation, right? What's it, 60-something years since it's been there? Yeah. Pretty sweet. And it's funny that, especially from an American perspective, this will probably be a big open because Ireland, America and Ireland have like a connection, you know, whatever it is. Americans have an affinity for Ireland much more than they do Scotland. There will be more people tune in just because it's in Ireland, I think, in the U.S. at least, because there's an affinity. That Irish golf trip, the American kind of pilgrimage to go play golf in Ireland is quite a historic thing to do, you know. Well, there's so many nice Irish the Americans too. Yeah, you know, like that's a it's a big deal. It's like, how, there's yeah. plenty who claim to be Irish Americans. I mean, their family's been in America for seven generations, but they're still Irish, right? Yeah, Chica- <laughs> Chicago's the capital of Ir- the Irish American. You know, I thought Boston was no. I don't know. Who knows? Everybody. Yeah, you argue about that one. <laughs> it's like everybody says it. It's like <laughs> everyone claims it. Yeah. So, uh, all right. We'll uh, we'll talk soon. But uh, thanks for coming on as always, and uh, you know, lending your expertise and knowledge here. Good stuff. No worries. Enjoy. Yeah. Enjoy the open. We'll talk after. You've been listening to the Fried Egg Podcast. We do the digging for you. 